0: Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is music performance therapist Alyssa Di Napoli. First of all, do you meet Spotify's definition of a professional artist? There are 8 million artists on Spotify alone. Now, you look at that and you think, wow, that's a lot of competition. However, Spotify has a way of delineating. Who is a professional artist and who isn't? And it's pretty easy. Two-thirds of all the artists have released less than 10 tracks or less than a full album on Spotify. So right away, that takes them out of the running. And fewer still have 10,000 listens per month. So that leaves us with 165,000 out of 8 million artists who can be considered professional artists, meaning that you have enough material that's out there And that you're actually getting a bare minimum of streams, 10,000 a month across all of your catalog is not all that much. So 98% of the artists on Spotify aren't popular enough to get even 10,000 streams per month. Now, it's possible that you could be more popular on another platform, but chances are if you're popular on Spotify, you're popular on the other platforms as well. It just goes to show you, when you think there's so much competition out there, it's really a lot less than maybe you believe. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineers Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new section on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. That's bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. Now, we all know that the vinyl pressing plants have run out of capacity, and if you place an order now, you might be lucky to get it in eight or nine months, which is not acceptable for most artists. That being said, vinyl pressing capacity is about to get a big boost. Memphis Record Pressing is tripling its manufacturing space and installing 36 new presses. Now, this is slated to come online in September, and when that happens, that's certainly going to ease the whole problem of vinyl delivery by a lot. Now, just to give you some idea, right now Memphis Record Pressing, or MRP, Currently, does about seven million a year, but soon it will turn out about 125,000 per day, which means it's going to go up to about 45 million. When this happens, MRP will become the largest vinyl manufacturer in North America, which is pretty interesting since it was only founded in 2014 with a few used presses. So it just goes to show you that riding a wave of vinyl happens in many, many spaces and many areas. And it's really good that we're finally seeing some pressing plants taking that plunge, getting new presses, and taking the big pressure off the business. My guest this week is Alyssa Napoli, who's a holistic life coach, hypnotherapist, author, and performer. Alyssa specializes in helping professionals and artists overcome creative blocks and beat stage fright so they can better share their gifts with their audience. She's been a holistic clinical hypnotherapist as well as an NLP practitioner for two decades where her approach combines positive psychology, Eastern philosophy, esoteric Western practices with hypnosis if that's needed, and transformational creative coaching to provide a holistic path to better living. Alyssa is also a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist performing under the name Alyssa Vulpz. And she's a best-selling author of Dare to Be Seen. During the interview, we talked about the reasons people get performance anxiety, performance anxiety over social media, the different symptoms that can arise, ways to overcome it, and much more. I spoke with Alyssa via Zoom for a studio in New Zealand. Let's start with your background and how you get into the music business. What came first?
1: Well um yeah I often get the question um, and it's I suppose what came first was music the my first love has always been actually it started with writing and I uh, used to write poetry and then I got into music through poetry because um back in the day um there wasn't a lot of interest at least where I was uh, uh you know for poetry and um and instead I thought, well, if no one reads poetry, maybe I should, uh, I should get into music. And actually then I discovered that I loved music. And after I saw somebody play uh, baby, I'm going to leave you by Led Zeppelin at my high school concert. <laughs> and I thought, oh yeah, I want to, I want to do that. And, um, and so then I started writing songs and, and discovered that I was terrified of performing in public. <laughs> um, that was a bit of a problem. And, um, then came the therapy, you know, the, the hypnotherapy, the coaching, all of that later. But I always kept on making music, you know, throughout the throughout my life uh, in parallel with that, because uh, basically psychology and music are two things I'm really passionate about. And uh, and they also sort of feed into each other as well. Because, uh, you know, um, through my clients, I hear a lot of stories um, and through also my own therapy, um I, I used a lot of you know music to heal myself, help myself throughout um you know my life. So I use music for healing and then I used I you know, hypnotherapy to help myself with this particular problem and other problems as well um that I've had in my life, the you know psychosomatic and and the psychological issues. So they are very much intertwined.
0: Okay, so you discover you have an issue with performing, Mm. and that prompted you to get therapy then, right?
1: Well, I mean, I I was already, you know, I've had therapy for a long, long time, you know, all kinds of different therapy for all kinds of different things, but basically for my mental health. And um, when I realized I had performance anxiety, I didn't know what to do, because even though i was a hypnotherapist at the time it just didn't occur to me like it's this obvious you know it's like you hear <laughs> you hear these stories of um you know of people that are just blind got blind spot you know so for me I, it just didn't occur to me to go to a hypnotherapist um until um one time when i was talking to a colleague about it and he was saying well you know you could Use hypnotherapy for this, you know. Have you not tried it? And um, I thought, no, I haven't. You know, I tried pretty much everything else, and and I haven't tried this. And so I um, I got uh, a bit of help from him, and it did work, uh, but not completely hundred percent because I only saw him like a couple of times, you know. And then I thought, wait a minute, okay, there must be um, more to this, you know, um, because you know hypnotherapy is a bit of a of an art. You know, it's, uh, you, you, it's only as good as a hypnotherapist that, you know, the help you're going to get really depends on the person that's doing it. And and so then I started studying. I started th- asking other hypnotherapists and, and uh, kind of looking into it quite a lot to figure out w- all the different possibilities, you know, all the different possible techniques that there were, and I started focusing on it. And then I, at the same time, I was uh, actually getting clients to come to see me with this problem so that I would look at all the, you know, possible, um, you know, look at all the ways that this problem can kind of surface and then seeing what kind of treatment works with who. And, And so this went on and on for quite a long time. And then once I got a really good idea, I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to actually... Apply this to myself because I'm pretty terrible at that. Like I'm really good at helping other people, but when it comes to me, I sometimes expect myself to be above it all and to just be like, "Oh no, I I don't need, I don't need this." You know, other people uh, are actually uh, getting better, and but I am not applying the same things to myself. So of course I'm not getting better. And so then there was a point where I was like, "Okay, right, this is silly." You know, this is I actually know exactly what I need to do. So I started putting that into practice and i thought hmm, you know one thing that's going to really help me is to write a book about it and do a course because if i do that then i'm going to be 100 focused on this and then i have to practice what i preach you know uh, also because i don't want to be one of those people that are like you know just saying to other people do this and do that and then they don't do it i mean it's ridiculous so i that's what i did and that really really um was uh, the final kind of brick to build a house you know and and because of that I managed to actually overcome the problem and it doesn't mean that you know like I'm not nervous at all because that's not very natural everybody's nervous you know when they're performing but it's it's more that that actually now rather than being a traumatizing experience every time I go on stage I actually manage to have fun and um, you know sometimes I might make a mistake But now I'm able to just kind of laugh it off, you know, and be like, oh, well, it's okay. You know, it's not the end of the world. And and, and for the most part, I'm having fun, even if I'm not perfect, which is, you know, before it was all about being perfect, which doesn't exist anyway.
0: I understand the concept of being afraid before you begin to perform, but for many people that goes away as soon as you hit that first chord first notes saying the first phrase it goes away am i to understand that for many people that doesn't happen
1: yeah it doesn't happen to for everybody absolutely not um in fact for me it was sort of the opposite it was more like um i was okay at the beginning and then the more i was on stage the more like, i started freaking out because i either either because things were going not the way I wanted them to, or because they weren't going too well. Uh, meaning, uh, i meaning basically I was interfering in, in by uh, becoming self conscious with my rational mind. I just started thinking, you know, thinking whether it's a positive thought, negative thought, doesn't matter. It's interfering with the flow of the performance. So, therefore, it's uh, distracting you from being in the moment. And you go into your head and it doesn't matter whether the thought is, oh, look at, look, or maybe, oh, did you hear that amazing passage? You know, that was great. Oh, they're going to think I'm fantastic. Or, oh God, they all hate me. Look at that guy's eyes. Oh, he's so distracted and bored. And it doesn't matter what you're thinking. It's, you're not in the moment. You're not in the song. And so it's just not going to be a good performance and you're not going to have a good time. So to answer that question, yes, uh, this happens to a lot of people, not just me, unfortunately.
0: Is there one common reason why people get performance anxiety?
1: Well, there's uh, there's a variety of reasons. Um, in in general, like, you know, the, on the low level, the low level performance anxiety is normal, right? It's, it's something we have as a kind of evolutionary, uh, there's an evolutionary reason for it because you know, nobody wants to be rejected, right? Um, if you are rejected by the tribe, so to speak, you know, um, you you can you don't survive anymore. I mean, back in the day, uh, now um, if you're rejected by an imaginary, you know, crowd or you know a crowd in your head that doesn't like you or a real crowd, it can feel really threatening. So on on, and so that's normal, but when that's excessive, then we have a problem. That's stopping you from performing. that's stopping you from enjoying yourself. So, in that case, we're looking at a variety of causes. It could be um, that it's uh, the the problem. Um, the cause of excessive anxiety ca- comes from a, tra- a trauma. Now, when I say trauma, you know, people imagine usually these big things, but it could just be, you know, um, oh, maybe when you were six years old and in front of the class, you were um, everybody I was laughing at you. Because you you told a joke that uh, you know maybe uh, you said something that uh, put you on the spotlight and uh, maybe the uh, teacher made fun of you you know whatever uh, that could be a trauma enough to uh, traumatic enough to uh, basically associate the experience of being seen uh, with danger you know you you are rejected uh, you're humiliated. So trauma is one reason. Um, another reason is negative mental rehearsal, which basically is what when people worry. You know, when, when people go, "Oh, what if this and that goes wrong? What if you know?" And then the moment you think about that, your brain makes a mental picture of this uh, negative event. And for for the brain, it doesn't matter whether it's real or imagined; it's, it's the same. So it reacts as if this is actually happening. These people are actually rejecting you today, right now. And so that can create uh, a huge, uh, you know, again, a negative effect of fight or flight, you know? So these two things are definitely um, a problem. And also you can kind of learn the behavior as well from other people. Like, you know, this is common with phobias, you know, if like, you know, your mother was always scared of flying or spiders or whatever, you know, you, you can learn it. Um, that's less common, but you know, there's, so there's different causes and sometimes they can live together, you know, so you could, it could be that you've had a traumatic experience and then on top of that, you ruminate and worry and, and uh, catastrophize in your head uh, anticipating this terrible negative event that will mean that you get rejected by everybody, you know? So, that um, can happen, and then in the moment, if you start having this, uh, if the fight or flight response gets triggered, um, you can't actually think rationally because, again, this is this is built in the our survival mechanism. You know, if you back in the day you were confronted by an enemy and you know, say a lion, I don't know, and uh, you you can't just stop and think. Um, oh, you know, is that lion going to eat me or not? Is that really dangerous? You know, you can't think like that. You just have to run or kill the beast, you know? So, so it's black and white thinking. So that's what actually happens in the brain is the amygdala, the alarm center of the brain. It sends these inhibitory signals. So in other words, it inhibits uh, the, the this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. So what happens is you can't think rationally. You think in black and white terms, death, life of death. And until you calm down, that is, until the amygdala, actually, the alarms get switched off saying, okay, there's no danger now, you can't think um, rationally. So affirmations, things like that, they do work, but only when you're calm. So when you're having a panic attack, it's not going to work.
0: I can understand where if you're doing a live gig and there's people that you're playing to, that could be intimidating. What happens when you're doing something on social media you're doing like a youtube live you're doing facebook live something like that does that calm you down someone that normally would be triggered by having by performing to people is that more comfortable or is it the opposite
1: well it depends on your internal dialogue right like what are you saying to yourself in that moment you know what are you what are you imagining are you imagining that you're talking to your best friend And there's just, you know, your fans are there and they love you and they can't wait to hear from you and, uh, you know, you're comfortable with them. Or are you imagining millions of people watching you, judging you, you know, then whatever you're imagining in the moment is going to uh, change how you you feel and and it's going to trigger different emotional responses. So, you know, you could be calm if you're imagining that it's your best friend there um, or you could be totally... You know having exactly the same panic response as if you, you know you were in person facing a big crowd so it depends how what you're saying to yourself and what you're imagining
0: when you're performing to an audience that you don't know you have to win them over and i can see where someone would panic about that because mm-hmm. you're in a hostile environment until they're not so to speak but what if you're actually advanced a little bit in the business where you have fans and you have lots of fans in the audience that immediately pull you in, immediately embrace you when you walk out on stage? Does that alleviate the problem?
1: Yeah, I would think so, absolutely. You know, because, because it's, all, it's all about acceptance, you know, feeling safe. When you're accepted, you feel safe. If you feel safe, there's no reason to panic. Really simple. You know. Um, so it's like a feeling safe enough to be vulnerable, to not be perfect, to just be yourself, and to relax into the performance. So you're not actually thinking about yourself, but you're thinking about you're hopefully you're not thinking at all. You are immersed in the present, um, really tuned in to the message of the song or the or the feeling of the instrument that you're playing. You know, that's when you are at your best. Uh, Having a little bit of nerves helps, you know, uh, to give the performance energy because if you totally chill, like if you really don't care, uh, then it's going to be flat, you know, like I I know about that because, you know, in one of my attempts at, uh, at overcoming this problem, I took beta blockers and it was like being a bit of a zombie, you know, I was like, oh, the audience is there, like a screen on a TV. Mm. Uh, And I'm just i just like an automaton going through the emotions and I don't feel anything, you know, and I don't care. And and I don't care what they think. And it's just awful, you know. And if you've ever seen a a performer that doesn't care about the audience, hmm, if the performer doesn't care, the audience doesn't care. (laughs) You know, in fact, they might not even like the performance at all.
0: Are there different permutations of performance anxiety?
1: It, well, it depends if you're meaning like symptomatically, yeah. Um, yes, symptomatically, like people have all different kinds of symptoms. You know, they're all the symptoms that have to do with hyperventilation. Um, so basically, hyperventilation is when you are having a panic attack on stage, uh, or or before, or even after. And um, so what happens is that if you are in that situation where your amygdala thinks, okay, you're in danger. It will pump uh, adrenaline and cortisol, which is a stress hormone and, and, uh, in your system. And this is so that if there was a real danger enemy there, um, you would be fighting it or running away from it. But when you're on stage and you don't have an actual enemy, uh, you're not fighting or running away from anything, uh, all the basically these these um substances they stay in your body and they cause and then there's nowhere um uh, the energy doesn't get consumed and so basically you get into uh, a state of uh, hyperventilation you usually start breathing quite fast and shallow and and you can have a lot of symptoms like the symptoms could be from um heart pounding to your throat getting all parched to feeling a sense of unreality, to shivering, you know. Uh, it, it can be so many different things, but they're all symptoms of of hyperventilation. So uh, if it's that bad that you're having a panic attack, you could have some or all of these. If, on the other hand, it's not as bad as being in fight or flight, well, thank God, it's a little bit less uh on, you know it's it's easier to treat um but you could have for example um you could be worrying a lot before the performance and then like you said before you get on stage and it's fine but that's still really bad for the person because you know it can take it can put people off you know some people can't sleep at all the night before or maybe they throw up or you know they have symptoms like irritable bowel symptoms so that's pretty bad they might not panic during it but they kind of have this response before so there's different permutations in terms of severity uh kinds of symptoms and whether they are having a panic attack during the the day of the performance or whether they're only worrying before and some people have it after you know they they've they've gone through it it's gone okay but they just tortured themselves with all the mistakes and oh my god and what was it oh they were they hated it or whatever all the things they did wrong
0: yeah You mentioned hyperventilation, which makes me think that breathing techniques are a big part of overcoming this.
1: Yeah, you're on the ball there. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's one of the two things that really, really work. So yeah, um, the two techniques basically that work for this are um, to do with switching off the alarm center, right? So the alarm center, the amygdala, uh, is connected to the sympathetic nervous system. And the parasympathetic nervous system is kind of the opposite. So it's the what um, gets switched on when we relax, when we go to sleep. So that's why, you know, like if you have, you can't fall asleep and have a panic attack at the same time, you know, it's either one or the other. So one of the best ways to stopping the, uh, the well, the, of, of switching off the alarm system is to, is to switch on the parasympathetic nervous system. And one of the ways that you can do that is by breathing um, diaphragmatically. So what that means is that uh, it's very important that you keep your mouth closed when you do this. And this has got to do with the amount of carbon dioxide and oxygen that can go out of the mouth as opposed to uh, to the nose. So you need to keep the mouth closed and breathe in through the nose and take a deep breath. So for example, count you could count in your mind, you know, one, two, three, four, then you hold the breath for a couple of seconds and then you breathe out, for longer, much longer, as long as you can. So it could be maybe eight, maybe it's 10, whatever it is, but you keep your mouth closed. And you need to do this for five minutes, five minutes, because people usually do it for like 30 seconds and then they're like, oh, it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you didn't do it long enough. It needs to be five minutes, you know, because it takes time to switch off the alarm system. So that's one thing. But the other thing that a lot of people don't know about I didn't know about either, um, is the, that, you know, if you imagine the scenario of the lion again, um, and I was talking about all that energy that you need to have to switch, to, to, you know, to fight or, or run away from the lion afterwards, the, the, as soon as the danger is over, what would happen is that you will relax. You know, you're just like, ah, oh, finally I'm safe again. Time to go to sleep. Um, and, and that tells the amygdala, okay, that the injury is over now. I can switch off. So the trick is to then ex- actually use that energy in an aerobic kind of fashion. So, so if you do aerobic exercise, like going up and on the stairs ten times, like jumping jacks, like dancing to your heart's content until your heartbeat actually, you know, you goes up. Um, so again, five minutes or so before a performance, that's going to help a lot too, because it's basically telling your amygdala, okay, we're fighting this enemy. We are we are running away, you know, and then so the energy's got somewhere to go and your cortisol and your adrenaline are being used and then you're going to relax again. So it's those two things. And you could do them together as well, like a combo. Like, you know, you could start with the running, not running, but like, you know, uh, jumping or whatever, getting your heart rate up. And then... Doing some breathing to calm down even more. And at that point, the best, uh, the third thing you can do now that you're calm, now you can use positive mental rehearsal, positive self talk, you know, imagine grounding yourself, imagining what you want rather than what you don't. So, like the best performance that you could possibly have, being very connected to the music, you know, all of that. So, if you do them in this order, Then when you finally get into the stage, you're going to be a lot calmer. And then the other thing about breathing is, say that all of this is okay at the beginning, like, you know, you're not panicking before the performance, but you then start to feel panicky during it. Of course, you can't quite do the pragmatic breathing because, you know, you are performing, you are talking. But one thing you can do is uh slow down the breathing by having a one breath, one thought kind of breathing. So say you're talking to the audience, instead of going, brruh, 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 you're talking too fast, you know, which a lot of people do when they get nervous, uh, you just take you know, a breath in, a breath out, then you take another de- deep breath in, then on the breathing out, you walk onto the stage and you take a breath, a breath in, you look at the people, and then as you breathe out, you talk. And that's going to help not only you feel much calmer, but also it's going to help you think, and it's going to help the audience take in what you've got to say, because people will pay attention and be like, oh, oh, what's this, you know, actually slowing it down really helps in many ways.
0: You mentioned that you have a book and a course. Do those cover what you're talking about?
1: Oh yeah, I mean everything that I'm talking about, like uh, just just now, is actually uh, not only in the book uh, and and not only in the course, but it's also on a free masterclass that I give, you know, on my website. So that you know, I go in more detail about all of these things, explain them, you know, as much as possible, uh, really well, and they're free, you know, so anyone can learn these things because I think, you know, it should be available to anybody. Um, and and but then you know, if you want to know more, or you want to have some guidance, then you can kind of go a little bit deeper and explain things a lot and in, in a lot more detail in the book and in the course.
0: And your coaching, what does that entail?
1: So the coaching um, there's on one hand coaching exercises that co- kind of go alongside the the hypnosis tracks that I that are the main meat and potatoes of my course. Um, and also if um, a person say, you know does these ex, you know buys the courses or are, learns how to record their their own hypnotic tracks, which is something that I teach in the in the book. But they're like a bit lost about okay which which uh track should i listen to or what should i focus on because you know the, their situation it might be you know they might not be sure uh, what's relevant you know there's 10 different hypnosis tracks in my course is like okay which one should i listen to of course if you listen to all of them something's definitely going to work you know because they cover all, all possible angles but if a person's like well i don't know which one to do i don't want to do them all then you know that coaching can help but it's so it's it's for guidance but it's also to get the most out of uh the hypnosis because you know with the coaching you're learning to put into practice everything that i am uh, conditioning your subconscious to learn so you know you get the practice in your mind but then you also have to put things to, to practice in real life
0: so you've produced 12 albums and you do a lot of music.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but you
0: do the music under another name.
1: Yeah, another name because, ugh, you know, I wish now that that wasn't the case, but it's been so long. Like a long time ago, I was like, you know, much younger. Uh, you know, 25 years ago. And I was, you know, insecure about this. I wasn't sure, oh, is it appropriate, you know, to have your therapist make music? I mean, I don't see the problem now, but back in the day, I thought, oh, you know, maybe it's not good. And so I had this separation, you know, of myself into Elisa Di Napoli, the therapist and the coach. And then Elisa Vulpes is a musician and, and the creative one over there. But I'm mean, actually, you know, hypnotherapy is pretty creative. You You can't really do it if you're not creative but uh so I split that and then I, I became very unhappy with this and thought oh you know this is not right you know I am just everything I'm, I'm both these things why do I have to be too but you know it was just too late to then mix it all up and change it and um I know I did not want to confuse people either because I mean I am so interested I'm interested in so many things in my life as well that um you know if I just put if I wrote um, on my website all the things I'm interested in, people would be like, what? <laughs> 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 just, what was this? This is not, it's not on brand. Oh, I don't know. You know, I'm not very good with the branding uh, so, side of things. So with music, also, I've, I've made different kinds of music all my life as well. And that sometimes it can be a bit strange. But for me, it's just that I'm basically, I'm an artist, you know, and I like music as a tool, a tool. To express what I want to say, and sometimes I will write a story about it, and sometimes I will write a song about it. You know, uh, so you know, it's not. A, it, it doesn't have to be a specific kind of song either. I, I'm, you know, maybe one day I want to write a a song that is very um, happy-go-lucky. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna write in a sort of an in, in indie goth, uh, you know, way. I'm, I'm gonna do something else. You know, uh, that day. I haven't said that, you know, obviously, it's not like I can write music for everything. I can, you know, there are certain genres that I'm more apt with, you know, sure. mainly like, yeah, like as a, every artist. <laughs> but I, I wanted to um, also uh, give your uh, listeners a free copy of my book if they want to grab it. Um, I did make a link uh, just for you called com slash bobby. So that if they want to um, to grab a copy, they can, and uh, and it's free. You know, they don't have to pay anything for it.
0: Okay, great. Last question, Alyssa. What's the best piece of advice that maybe somebody imparted to you, or maybe you learned along the way?
1: Um, probably the one that comes to mind is think about and focus um, on what you want, not what you don't. Right. Because when you focus on what you don't, well, that's the you know, the brain will hear that. For example, if I say to you, uh, "Don't think about uh, a ambulance on top of a hill uh, on fire," you know, it's like, <laughs> mm. okay, immediately you've pictured it, because you know that's just the way the brain works. It pictures what uh, the, the the objects that your words describe. But if you say to yourself, don't, you know, don't is not an actual object. It's just a negation of an object. So so the brain doesn't compute, doesn't, can't visualize, can't make that into something. So when you say, oh, I don't want to be a terrible performer. Oh, I don't want to be whatever. I don't want to be fat. I don't know. Whatever it is you're thinking, you are visualizing the very thing you don't want. And your brain goes, okay, we're going to go there. We're That's where we're going now. And so it's that's what's how self-fulfilling prophecies really work. So for me it's been a struggle because we're actually quite negative. I mean, I think a lot of us as humans, we're negative because we well, we have scan we have to survive. So what do we do? We scan the environment for all the possible dangers. You know, that's how we've survived all this all this millennia, right? But uh, then it, it can become overwhelming. So I tend to think negatively, just like a lot of people. And then all those negative things have, you know, happened in my life and that have, have taught me, oh, don't do that. Do the opposite. What's the opposite? The opposite is thinking about what you want. Oh, okay. It doesn't mean that you're gonna get it, but at least you are doing your best to prime your yourself, to condition yourself, to be in a good mindset, you know. And then if it doesn't happen, oh well. So I've made up this. There's, uh, you know, I, I always say there's, I should have a t-shirt that says, expect the best, accept the rest, <laughs> you know, expect the best, accept the rest. It's like, okay, well, I'm expecting the best. And then if it doesn't happen, oh, well, you know, eh, no, life isn't perfect. It's okay. What can I learn from the experience, you know?
0: You can find out more about Alyssa at alyssa.denapoli.com. That's Alyssa, E L I S A. Dinapoli, D-I-N-A-P-O-L-I, Dinapoli, all one word, dot com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at BobbyOsinski.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to BobbyOsinski.com, select the podcast tab, or go to BobbyOwnerCircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Tune in radio, radio public, and podbean. At Bobbyosinski.com and BobbyOnerCircle.com, you'll also find a sign for for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.